very uh, thankful today to introduce to you my good friend, Father Ed from Kelleher from All Saints Church in uh, Chevy Chase, Maryland. He's going to be our guest preacher this morning. Glad to see you here with us, Father Ed. And uh, Father Ed is uh, a uh, friend of mine, and he did our vestry retreat yesterday. Some of you may remember B.J. Baracker, who's a seminarian we sponsored a few years ago. He now works for Father Ed up in Chevy Chase, and we're just glad to have you with us here today to share the Word of God and just spread the joy, spread the joy that you bring, Father. So thank you for being with us here today. Can I tell them I love them? Is that all right? You can do that if you want to. I sure. love you already. It's a decision I made before I came. <laughs> and you've done nothing to disavow it since I've shown up. Uh, spending yesterday with your vestry and your clergy, your leadership here, was absolutely wonderful. Uh, Chris and Kathy have been remarkable new friends to us. They're drawn near and dear. We're going to stay together even after we return to Washington. We're still going to be close in heart and in spirit and purpose, sharing resources and love among everybody here. Uh, Lee, your senior warden, your entire vestry, like I said, all your clergy, even your clergy and hope. We have Austin here uh, on his way to an aspiration to see what God has to do with him and his ordination. And all the things that might come of it have told me this is a great church. Now, you shouldn't get puffed up about that. I don't mean to say you're, you know, I know you're dressed nice, but you're not really a great church in that way. You're a great church because you're obedient to God and you're willing to do the things and be sacrificial and to let him work through you and to let him love others through you, and there it comes to be. Our church uh, back home, All Saints, is a very strange place. The line, the Washington, D.C. boundary, goes right through the church, right through. So depending where you are in the building, you're either in Maryland or Washington, wherever you might be. And the weirdest thing of all, the weirdest thing is if you're sitting in a pew, you're in Maryland. If you come up to the altar for communion, you're in Washington. The line actually goes between, which is absolutely absurd because there's no way anybody should come into Washington for anything holy. You should be leaving Washington. <laughs> you should leave Washington to find holiness. <laughs> but I don't point out the bifurcated nature of the building and the property just to get a laugh out of it. It is purposeful and illustrative of something important. Our Lord Jesus Christ has two natures. And while it's not at all a perfect metaphor or analogy to talk about a boundary line in a building, it gives us that sense that our Lord Jesus was fully God as he was fully man. You say, how could that be? You can't be 200% of something. You could be half man, half God, some percentage, one or the other. He was fully God and he was fully human at the same time, a mystery we will not understand this side of heaven. But in so recognizing we start looking in ourselves for ways to pattern like that because we also have two natures. We are physical beings. We are incarnate. Here we are. We're, ba we're created by God physically, but we're also spirit beings. We have two natures in us, spirit and physical being. Our Lord Jesus shows us ways forward, and we see these remarkable, unbelievable, stupendous things that happen to him as in the transfiguration story today in the gospel where Jesus comes up to the top of the Mount of Transfiguration, and he has his prayer team with him, Peter, James, and John. That's his close prayer group. Prayer group. Those are the fellows he's always tight with. And he goes up to the top of the mountain with them in the midst of their, of their ministry and their way, and all of a sudden, something unbelievable happens, something so unbelievable that it terrifies the apostles. They're absolutely shook to their core in fear because what they see is our Lord Jesus transfigure, not transform, that's a word for you and me, but transfigure. His appearance, his countenance, his raiment, his clothing, his way he appeared changes 
to this brilliant, spectacular, bright white color, and the divinity of heaven on earth as it is in heaven, if you would, starts shining through him to the point where the apostles see something they never expected. And then on top of that, seeing this other nature, if you would, of Jesus as God as much as he is man, who should appear in front of him but Moses and Elijah? Well, why is that important? Why wasn't it Adam and Eve? Why wasn't it Abraham and King David or somebody? Why Moses and Elijah? Because they are the law and the prophets. The law was given through Moses. Elijah is the first of the modern prophets. And what the Lord God is saying to us is, here is my beloved son, and he represents and fulfills everything that was spoken of in the law and in the prophets. Now, it doesn't stop there. It gets one notch greater still. Because at this point, we've got Moses, we have Elijah, we have Jesus, and we hear the voice of God even from heaven, and we have four major figures in front of our eyes and ears, and we're thinking, what do we do here? And God makes it clear. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And he gives us that coda after that which says, listen to him. Listen to him. He doesn't say, listen to Moses. He doesn't say, listen to Elijah. He doesn't say, listen to the rector, listen to the pope, listen to the president of the United States. He doesn't say, listen to anybody. He says, listen to Jesus. Wow, we think about that. Why listen to Jesus? Because there's something necessary that comes from that. We look at this and we understand how important it is that he says, listen to him. Because we have the season of Epiphany, which started some seven weeks ago or so, and it opens up with the baptism of Jesus in the River Jordan. And at that baptism of Jesus in the River Jordan, what happens? The sky opens up. A voice comes booming out of the heavens. A dove descends. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove on Jesus. And that voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So we have the season of Epiphany bookended by these speaking parts of the Lord God about who His Son is and in whom he is well pleased. But this second time, this bookend that closes the Epiphany season, as that little piece that says, listen to him. We listen to him for a major reason. We don't know what to do if we don't, and we have no hope if we don't listen to him. No hope here on earth to get our lives straightened out, no hope in the hereafter to have eternal life. There are eternal consequences involved in listening to him. What has every person in this room in common at this moment? Why did you all come here? We all came here for the exact same reason. And you say, no, we, we didn't. You, know, you say, well, some say, well, we came here to worship God. Well, maybe not everybody did. Maybe somebody doesn't care about worshiping God today. They came because they wanted to hear a good joke from the pulpit. Maybe they came because they needed the fellowship of people. They were just in the, in, in the need of a prayer or just in the mood to explore God a little bit. That's not the reason. The same reason, the common denominator, the underlying purpose, every human being came into this room today is that we want to leave differently than the way we arrived. For some of us, that means receiving God. For some, you don't even know why you came. You don't even know what that is, but you know you want something. I need something. I don't know what it is, but I need to leave here differently than the way I arrived. I got an addiction. I'm about to get a divorce. My job is in bad way. My kids are going nuts. I need something to change. Listen to him. Listen to him. We don't stand in some mocking discrepancy where we have a God who shows himself in all his glory. Here's my kingdom. Here's my majesty. Here's my divinity. Here even is my transfiguration on top of the mountain. Ha ha, you're not included. 
He doesn't mock us like that. Behold my son and listen to him so that he shows by his transfiguration the glory he is as the son of God. You are able to transform by taking him in your heart. The Holy Spirit comes and transforms us when we take Christ into our heart. The Holy Spirit comes and teaches us who Jesus is and helps us to understand these things. Let's face it, we are a people obsessed with change. Obsessed. I want plastic surgery. Get a new nose. We'll get my skin tightened up. I'm a little on the plus size. I need to trim down a little bit here. I want new fashions, new car, new job, new house, new vacation, new... If we think... If something changes, we're going to be happy. But God says, the purpose isn't to be happy. You say to every mother in the world, what do you want for your children? What do you want for your kids? What does every mother answer? I just want my kids to be happy. That's the wrong thing to say. I don't want my children to be happy. You know what I want my children to be? Holy and good. Because if they're holy and good, they've got a real shot at happiness. But if they try to get happy without being holy and good first, Happiness is like a moving target. It's going to move. You hit it on Monday, you miss it on Tuesday. Maybe you see it on Wednesday, Thursday. You don't even know where it is. Happiness is a fool's game. It's a devil's game, in fact. But being holy and good will lead us to being happy. And it makes us get there in that way. God says, I give you blessings. It's up to you to be happy. I don't give you happiness. I give you blessings. Let me see if you're content with it. Well, to have these changes, we think we're going to get happy. If I just could take that vacation, get that new car, get that new job, get that new spouse. Some people want to get rid of their spouse because they think they get a different spouse, I'll be happy. And who said that? <laughs> Somebody over there said, amen. They got the right thing. Well, the fact of the matter is, our God is a God of new things. He's always making things new. It's his way. He makes, our, makes us a new life. He gives us a, a new being. He gives us a new uh, eternity. All those things are always new from him. But the newness, the changes we seek are spiritual. They're not things of the world. They're not material and secular. He wants to give us a change that changes who we are as spiritual beings and makes us new people. And that's how we get better. And there's the change we need. Do you ever hear the old country song? I'm just an old chunk of coal, but I'm going to be a diamond someday right? And that's where we are. I'm this filthy sinner. I'm this person broken. I'm an old chunk of coal, but put into the hands of the Savior of the world, put into the control of the Holy Spirit of God, I could be turned into something gorgeous and beautiful and go forward in that way. The idea of the transfiguration makes me think also the idea of the resurrection. Now, aren't these amazing things? Jesus changes as an appearance in front of the apostles the way we described in the gospel today. And how about this one? Jesus walked out of a tomb on Easter morning. Well, you don't really believe that, do you? That's what people say to me sometimes. You don't really believe a dead man got up and walked out of a tomb. Yes, I do. I know that more surely than I know that I'm standing here, that my Lord Jesus woke up on Easter morning and walked out bodily from that tomb. And people will try to soft sell that or mix in some worldly thinking and play that down because you're getting a little too biblical for me, getting a little too holy roller, where the Lord God has given us these revelations so we can have the hope that brings the change, that brings the eternal life, and have those things. So we need to have them. 
I, I'm not somebody, and you're not somebody who are fundamentalists. That's not who we are. We're thinking people, reasoning people, people who sharpen in our heart the things God gives us. But we know that when it comes to the, the true religion, as the Bible calls it, the true religion of God, there are things that are changeless. Jesus Christ, yesterday, today, and tomorrow, ever changeless, over magnificent and wonderful in who he is, keeping things the same as good. I grew up in a town in New Jersey. Um, maybe some of you, everybody here Bayonne, New Jersey? Ever hear that? That's where I grew up, all right? You know that place. It's a mess. That's where I grew up. And we had a guy there who sold hot dogs, those Sabret hot dogs. You see the umbrella stands all over the place in New York and New Jersey. Well, this guy had a truck, and his truck was there forever. It was there for 45 years, 43 years. And he would boil the hot dogs in there, and the steam would come out of the windows. And on a winter day, it smelled so good, and you'd eat them. And he knew me from infancy. My mother brought me there when I was a baby, and I grew up going to his place. And one day when I was about 16, I said to him, George, I said, how is it? I've had these hot dogs everywhere in the city, everywhere in Manhattan, all over the place. But yours are better than anybody else. What's your secret? And he says, Eddie, come out of the window. So I put my head up to the window to hear the secret, and the steam's coming out. And he says, here's my secret. I boil these hot dogs in the water, and in 43 years of business, I've never changed the water. <laughs> That's gross, isn't it? He was kidding around. It was a joke. He told everybody that joke. But the point of it is, sometimes there are things we do not change to get things great and to make them really good. And there are things that were handed down by Jesus and the apostles we keep the same. Billy Graham once preached in a uh, Midwestern church one, one time, one place. And as he was preaching in this church, he was giving them the straight juice. He was giving them the gospel, the orthodox faith. He was, faith. He was laying it down and doing it mightily. But it was a progressive church. And after he finished preaching, some of the leaders came up, the elders came up to him, really giving him the goods and complaining, and saying, Dr. Graham, we don't like what you said here today. In fact, what you said here today has set back this church 100 years. And he apologized. He said, I'm sorry I've set you back 100 years. I was shooting for 2,000. <laughs> and there it is. The transfiguration, the resurrection, the truths of God, the promises of God are things given to us 2,000 years ago, and we dare get smart all of a sudden, intellectual pride, we can make them better. We can say, okay, we know this isn't true, that's not true. This faith that's given to us in the transfiguration helps us to go forward in a way that we don't know otherwise. I don't know anything without the light of Jesus Christ. I can't tell up from down, in from out. The Bible and the truth of the Scriptures is given to me, so I know what's right and what's wrong in this world. You know the TV show Survivor? It's been on for like 25 years now. It's been on a long time. Early on, I watched it for the first couple of seasons, then I stopped. But I watched this one season where they're all on some island and they live like a tribe and they vote each other off and the last one standing wins the game over a period of 10 weeks or something. And there was a woman who was a contestant in the middle of this place out in the wilderness, and she was uh, deaf. She could not hear a thing. And she was complaining, and she's on the, the camera, and she says, when it gets dark... All the competitors talk with each other because they know I can't hear in the dark. She reads lips. She can't hear in the dark. And I thought about that. I thought how that plays out and the many variations on the theme that we could use to understand how with God and with Jesus in the light of Christ, I could hear perfectly in the dark spiritual places of the world because I see by his light. 
I can see by the light of Christ things that the world doesn't see in the darkness because he shows them to me. It's not because I'm good. There's nothing good about me. If you want a list of things that are wrong with me, give me a legal pad. I said it yesterday in the vestry. I'll give you a list of everything that's wrong with me. And my wife, Patty, will add about 12 things that I'm not even thinking of. She'll tell you what's wrong with me. But the fact of the matter is, in the light of God, we can do these things. Now, why are we talking about transfiguration like this today? We're talking about it because we need it. It's a mountaintop experience. We talked about it in a class a few minutes ago, how Jesus went to the mountaintop. Moses went to the mountaintop. Things changed by that. Remember, though, what happens after each mountaintop experience is that there's life that's lived. It's not just the mountaintop. The mountaintop is the explosion, the joy, the big revelation. But then we go and we live out of that mountaintop experience down in the valley, helping the people who are sick and who are lost and who are wounded and broken and need our love. That's where we start. And it is no mistake, none whatsoever, that the transfiguration lesson, this mountaintop lesson, is given to us on the cusp of Ash Wednesday, three days from now. Three days from now, we're going to be receiving ashes from dust you came and to dust you shall return, remembering we are nothing. And we have to bridge this mountaintop experience today all the way up through Holy Week into Easter and get ourselves there. And today's worship, today's lesson, today's example in Christ is God saying, just like I can transfigure Jesus, you too can transform by mountaintop experiences in my Holy Spirit, be made in the likeness of my Son Christ, and live as you've not lived before. I tell people all the time, the deeper the Lent, the deeper the Lent, the higher the Easter. Some people just flub their way through Lent, don't pay attention to it. Don't go to Holy Week services. Just show up for Easter. I've got nice clothes. They go out for brunch. That's it. That's a shallow Easter. But to devote yourself into Lent, to cleansing and asking the Lord, come into my heart by this experience today, learning about who my Lord Jesus is as the final crescendo of epiphany. Can you change me and help me to be somebody new? And during Lent, let that change come about. Be purged of your sins, be purged of yourself, die unto yourself so that Christ may live into you. I was crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. Jesus Christ lives in me, allowing yourselves to be crucified during Lent, that Jesus may be rise up in you and you be made new, and this parish church be made new collectively. And then the power and the grace that comes from our Lord will be known in this community throughout this state and the world by what God does here. Perfect and beautiful and lovely and intended by God to the very end that we do this. We do this to the end that we eventually arrive at Easter. And on Easter, we celebrate the greatest words ever spoken in the world. Now, if I said to you, what are the greatest words ever spoken in the world? We talked about this at a class. People might say, um, you don't have cancer anymore. Those are the greatest words I ever heard. Yes, I will marry you. No, I won't marry you. Those could be great words for some people. You won the lottery. The war is over. I don't know. Pick your own. But the greatest words ever spoken in the history of the world were these. You got it? Ready? Write it down. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. That is the greatest grouping of words ever spoken in the history of the world. For by those words, we find out that we are here to live for eternity. We don't know death in the grave, but we know eternity alone. We, we live. We go from life to life. By those words, we know he has conquered death and the grave. By those words, we know that nothing can ever be the same again because in those words, we are told that we should eat differently, dress differently, give differently, love differently, sacrifice differently, do everything differently at Easter because of that experience. 
And as this time coming up in Lent, from one mountaintop experience today at the Transfiguration to another at Easter with the resurrection of Jesus, that we are formed and made into the likeness of Christ. That's good news for us. That's good news. And for that and everything else in our hearts, I, I think we say thanks be to God and amen on this glorious Sunday. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.